Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life, death, family, work, community, retirement. The first car, the last car. This week on Tempest, powered by Jalopnik. I'm David Obachowski. Welcome to Tempest, powered by Jalopnik. On this week's episode of Tempest, Love Lost. I had never tattooed myself anywhere visible. This is Kenny Appel. Kenny is 40 years old and he lives in Brooklyn, New York. He's also one of my closest friends. We both grew up together in Morris Township, New Jersey. Him in Morris Plains, me in Morristown. My father... <laughs> made an exception to kind of let everybody else know. He told more people about my tattoos than I did. My father would would tell me to take my shirt off for people. Like, you should see my son's back. Take your shirt off, he would say. <laughs> I remember he would say, take your shirt off. I'm like, I'm not trying to take my shirt off. Why do you want me to take my shirt off? You're asking me. I'm not, I'm not walking around parading myself around. You're you're the one. Let's let's just for the record realize who the one that's, you know, the salesman here, not me. I'm not the salesman. If you saw Kenny now, he wouldn't need to have his shirt off for you to know that he has tattoos. Here's why. So I have love on one side and lost. So whether you read it, love lost or lost love, that was uh, a tattoo on my knuckles, my first below my wrist. And then the tattoo that I got after that was a direct (laughs) memorial piece for him on my right hand that is a heart with roses and a banner that says, Dad. Dad. That's who this story is about. Walter Appel. Walt. He's Kenny's dad. He's also this guy's dad. So you go by Dan, not Danny, I know. Uh, Danny is a Morris Plains-ism. Like, a lot of people still call me that, or Apple. Um, But Dan is usually what I introduce myself as. Okay. Daniel. Because if you say Dan, then they say, oh, he's Stan. And I'm like, no, it's Dan. It's not Stan. Dan is 42 years old, and he lives in Denver, Colorado. I wanted to do a story about their father, Walter Pell, because he was a longtime car guy. And he was a good man, too. He wasn't the kind of guy you'd read about in all the papers. He wasn't a rich and famous philanthropist. He was just a blue-collar guy who worked harder than most people, and who, on top of it all, served his community for 30 years as a volunteer fireman and fire chief. He was a loving husband, and he was a dedicated father. But then he died young, leaving behind his wife and two kids. And in the garage of the house that Kenny and Danny grew up in, that he and his wife Prudy bought in 1974, there is a 1955 Chevy Bel Air, his reward to himself after selling his third and final business. The 55. Now that was a car that had a special place in his heart. You know, it wasn't 56, it wasn't 59, it wasn't 61. It was like 55 Chevy, 57 Chevy, big engine. Like, that's what he wanted. That That's what he always talked about. Growing up, I mean, my dad always talked about 55 or 57 Chevys. Somehow 56 Chevys got left out of the will. He wasn't a big fan of the 56, but the 55 and the 57 were... 
he always talked about them and had pictures of them. Um, My father never talked about moving to Florida. His reward to himself was uh, this uh, this automobile that he had been so connected with from the time that he was a teenager when he was first getting his driver's license and he wanted his first car. In fact, says his widow, Prudy, a 1955 Bel Air. That was his first car. He got that car when he turned 17. When Walt turned 17, it was 1961, and he lived in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And at that point, he'd known Prudy a couple years already. You know, he was a classmate. We went to different elementary schools. Now, I didn't, I didn't know him until we were both freshmen because we both belonged, we both were members of the band. But high school for Walt wasn't just hanging out with friends and marching band practice. Walt had to work. He was always working. He got a job at like a, as a teenager at like a furniture factory, just kind of, you know, building and shipping and handling furniture. And he just worked every day after school. Every day went to work. And here, Kenny explains why. For all intents and purposes, he grew up without parents because both of his parents died by the time he was 12. So his older sisters and older brother were charged with raising him with a little bit of help from his great aunt. He had a great aunt that was still around. So she definitely kicked in and helped out as well. As a hardworking teen who worked at both a furniture factory and a drive-in theater, young Walt developed an interest in cars. I, I, I think when my father really got into cars and he started fixing them and working on them, he was in his mid-teens, like maybe 15, 16 years old, which would have been in like the late 50s. But by the time he turned 17, he'd saved up enough money to buy himself a 1955 Chevy Bel Air. He picked it out and he paid for it. That was his first car. Walt quickly grew to love everything about cars. Informal drag racing. And they'd hang around, you know, go real slow until the cars would pass them. Right. And then all of a sudden they go, and they all take off and see right. who could get to the front first. Check. Getting his hands dirty. He was really a big fan of uh, modifying cars. Check. In fact, shortly after high school, he got rid of the Bel Air and upgraded. It was a lot bigger car. It was flashy. The Pontiac was like... The Bonneville was a very long car. Right. He couldn't afford Cadillac. So this was like the cross between what he could afford and and a Cadillac. Right. Because it was a big, long car. Plus, it was convertible. Unfortunately, though, it was an automatic. And that didn't sit well with Walt. And he put in a uh, he put a conversion kit into his so that he could put it on the floor. He wanted to have the stick shift on the floor. But he did it like in the backyard. He didn't even have a gas station. He didn't bring it to a gas station. He did it in his yard. But then what if he did have a gas station? Walt was already a hard worker and he loved cars. College wasn't his thing. So he went into business, the service station business. So I don't think he necessarily had any formal training as a mechanic, but uh, in his teen years, as he started messing around with cars, maybe around the time he was 16, he worked strictly in gas stations and with cars. And this was no job. This was a serious career. He ended up being the youngest golf dealer in New Jersey. When he was 18 years old, he owned his first business. He owned uh, like a golf gas station. In, uh, is that East Rutherford, I guess? Either Rutherford or East Rutherford. I think it was called Sandy's Auto. It was called Beach Golf. It was right at the intersection of Route 3 and Route 17 when it was more or less a just a patch of Meadowlands uh, weeds. And then he sold the Gulf Station and bought a Sitgo station in Morris Plains, New Jersey, located at 10202. 
So I, I think like it's safe to say that my father would was messing around with fixing cars and repairing cars from maybe like the late 50s until 1981 or 1982. But life under big oil companies was a challenge, Prudy explains. Oil companies were getting rough to deal with. For one thing, they were strict about what Walt could sell and not sell, buy and not buy. So even though he could purchase more affordable motor oil from other places and have a better profit margin, they required him to buy and sell their brand only. First of all, the gas companies owned, in most cases, not in all cases, the oil company owned the property and the building. So you were a tenant. Mm-hmm. And they could get pretty sticky with rules. Right. Like, number one, you got to sell their products. So if when he was at the Sitgo station, he had to sell Sitgo oil. Quick note, if you haven't noticed already, Kenny's sitting right there with his mother in these recordings, and New Jersey people, especially parents and their kids, have a hard time not talking over each other. Now, right, he couldn't shop. <laughs> he couldn't shop for oil. Now, there was, uh, like, you know, two guys used to be behind him, or FMC, whatever the, heck right. the name of that place was right. at the time. They was it a pizzeria or something? No, no, like Coles, but, but a different okay. name. The old name. Right. Two I guys two guys. I just forgot what kind of store it was. It's a department store. Right. Or the other name they had was FMC. Right. I don't remember what that stands for. But in any case, they would have a sale on oil. You could go there and get oil. He could get oil cheaper from them than he was paying Sitco. But his lease said he had to sell Sitco motor oil. <laughs> you know, and he said, oh, what sense is this? Like, what am I doing? I could go there and buy it for whatever cents a gallon, uh, a can less, Court, yeah. and make that much more money wh- when I do an oil change. But, but the I rules can't sell dictate it. that I'm not allowed to. I have to sell Sitco's tires. I have to sell Sitco's right. oil. They can tell you what days you got to stay open. But then the oil company started coming after the money he made fixing cars, too. Then the, the oil companies were saying, You're using our property to make money on order repairs. We deserve part of that profit. So they were gonna they were gonna ask for part of your profit on your order repairs. For Walt, this was a bridge too far. That's, you know, then he said, well. He was done wrenching on cars and he wanted to get into the deli business. I don't know where that came from. He had no food background. He seized on an opportunity to buy a uh, a local deli that had already kind of been somewhat established, but the owners were trying to retire themselves. So Walt sold the Sitgo and he bought the deli. That was named after the original owners. It was called Bangiola's Deli. When Walt bought Bangiola's, Kenny and Danny were about four and six respectively. So really, this is most of what they grew up with, working in the deli. Uh, I worked there through 99, so I was six when I started there. And until I graduated from college, so 23 or whatever it was. Not only a father, a husband, and a small business owner, there was something else Walt dedicated himself to. If it wasn't Bangiola's running his life, it was the fire department running his life. He volunteered, and he was a volunteer, what's that, 30, almost 30 years? He was fire chief in the mid-80s for two years. I want to say it was 84 to 86, something like that. Three businesses, a family, a 30-year tenure with the fire department, When we come back from the break, Walt finally takes some time for himself.
in some weird way, it was like a loaded question that when my father, my father put, had put my brother and I both through college. My parents put us both through college on their own nickel and dime. The way that I saw, it was like a trick question, almost like a test question. When he asked us if like, before I sell this thing, either you guys, do either you guys want to run it? I felt like that was a test. And I was like, I'm not going to fail this test. Like my father put me through college because he wants me to not work the way that he did. So I said, sell the business. If Danny wants it. It's all his. Otherwise, sell it. Enjoy your retirement. Use the money for like yourself. Enjoy your retirement. You've earned it. And that's exactly what Walt set out to do. The one thing that I could honestly say, and it almost makes me think of like the three amigos when when, the, when, when Martin Short and, and Chevy Chase and Steve Martin are talking about what they're going to do with their money when they like become rich. And Steve Martin's like, I'm going to buy a big, shiny, silver car. And I, that, that, that was like my dad. But not just any shiny car. He didn't want to just get whatever could come across. Like, what can I afford? He wanted to drive the exact car that just inspired him. It was always... Chevy, any anything Chevrolet from like the mid fifties. That was that was what he wanted. He would point out specifics. Like he would see a, a fifty five Chevy would go the other way down the road, and he would be like, "Oh, it's a fifty five uh, two door, four door, no post or two, whatever." He had. Walt searched high and low, and he finally found the exact car he wanted, his first car. So it's it's a fifty five Bel Air. It's a hard top. But they call it the convertible because it doesn't have the post in between the, it's a two-door. It doesn't have the post between the front window and the back window. Walt may have had decades of experience wrenching on the cars that came into his service stations, but this Bel Air was no beater. You know, and it's it's like freshly painted when he got it. There's like, there's no rust. There's no grease all over the place. Like this thing is really clean. You know, like the carburetor shiny. The engine block is like spray painted red. The belts are like in perfect shape. I don't I couldn't even tell you exactly which engine it is, but it's like the small V8. Um, his is an automatic. So his 55 is completely stock. He was like a kid in a toy shop when the car was delivered to our house, Prudy wrote to me in an email. Quote, it was a dream that he had that actually came through. That was his gold watch, you know, like people that retire, like, oh, we give you like a pension and a gold watch. That was my father's gold watch. And when you get a gold watch for retirement, you don't get it in parts and pieces. For Walt, the Bel Air was no different. He wanted it turnkey and ready to roll. He wanted to, he was willing to pay, I guess he had put a certain amount of money aside for himself where he wanted to just pay somebody for their time and their efforts to keep a car as original as possible. And then he wanted to buy it off them and just drive it on the weekends. The turquoise and white 55 was an attention getter and Walt liked to be the center of attention, Prudy told me over email. It, it's, it sounds strange to me to even think of my father like caring about what anybody thought about him, but he worked as hard as he did from like a young age. I think he wanted to portray a certain image of himself that he might not have the most warm like personality right off the bat. He might be a little bit tough from on the facade, but make no mistake. This guy has whatever he wants. He like he drives the coolest looking car. Walt's classic Chevy was gorgeous and it was fun. But according to Prudy, it meant something else to Walt. When she wrote her additional comments via email, she included this quote. I think he wanted to return mentally 
to a less stressful time when all he had to be concerned about was his car. End quote. But as it turns out, a full retirement might have been too hard of a shift for Walt. And as much as Walt liked not worrying over his own business, work was still in his blood. I think he was retired for six months, and I, I think he must have put on like 15 pounds or something like that. He had gotten a, uh, a part-time job just to keep himself busy after he sold his business. He got a part-time job up at Sam's Club up in Mount Olive, just off of Route 80. Just not being up, you know, 12 hours a day working was wearing on him. So he went to Sam's and ran their um, their meat department. Coming up after the break, Walt has everything he wants. A classic Chevy, a low-stress part-time job, lots of time for himself. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dolphin is wife, but then everything changes. crazy day it was like the day before new year's eve it was december 30th uh 2003 he worked that day and then he and my mother had gotten home uh from work and they had the bulldog at the time uh pudge pudge had to be let out my uh my mom had let pudge out in the yard and uh i guess my father had he was inside the house you know it was probably around dinner time around five o'clock and he uh, he kind of came a little bit stumbling out of the house to get my mom. He said something didn't feel right, that he had a pain in his groin or something like that. <clears throat> and then he just kind of collapsed, like, in the doorway. But uh, I picked up the phone. My mom was like, Dad fell down. And I'm like, okay, Dad fell down. Is he okay? And she said, Dad fell down. And I'm like, well, do you need me to, I mean, I work till six. You want me to come home and help you? And she's like, dad fell down. So I said, okay, I think something's wrong here. We had an intercom system. They said, can you phone call line two or whatever? I picked it up and my mom was, she wasn't crying, but she was very panicked. And <clears throat> I remember her saying, um, dad collapsed. And uh, I said, what do you mean he collapsed? She's like, he's in the front room. We just got home from work and he collapsed. And I said, is he, is he conscious? And she said, he's kind of coming in and out of consciousness. I said, did you call 911? She said, 911's on the way. I said, you got to keep talking to him. I remember saying, you got to just keep talking to him. See if you can find out where he feels pain. Try, you know, basically what, what, try to find out what's going on just in case he goes out. Any information that you have, you can tell the paramedics and they can, maybe they can target the problem. I left work early, went home. And there was ambulances there and the fire department and um, they were doing CPR on them. I remember yelling, yelling for him. 
uh, to see if he was conscious. I told him that I was there and the paramedic didn't know who I was. And they're like, sir, you know, you need to, unless your family or whatever. I'm like, um, what do you, why do you think I'm screaming? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not just some stranger. This is like, this is the house I grew up in. That's my father. Kenny and Dan made their way to the hospital, trying to make sense of what had just happened. To, to have him in that sort of unconscious kind of vulnerable position was just mind blowing to me because he was like this kind of larger than life, intimidating, very strong, strongly worded person that, uh, you know, it was, it was weird to see him weak. You know, it's, the, the weakest I ever saw him is like the 10,000 naps I saw him take on the couch. And that was just because he was a tired dude. He worked all the time. My dad's glasses were on the floor and he had already been shipped off. So I was like, dad's going to be pissed when he wakes up at the hospital and he, and he doesn't have his glasses because he was essentially blind. Um, he wasn't blind, but he couldn't see without his glasses. That's for sure. But I, I for some reason, I knew I, I going to the hospital like like we got there. We didn't like run in, you know, like I just kind of knew, you know, we parked the car and I like walked in like, I don't think this is going to end good. They did their life-saving whatever measures that they take. They, you know, paddled them with the the chest thing and, and he just never came back. I remember the doctor looking at his watch and pronouncing him and I was like... They, I think they worked on him for about five minutes and they just kind of turned around and said that he, he was already gone. We were all sitting in the room when they pronounced him and it was absolutely shocking. Like, had no idea that it was going to happen like that. That was surreal because I didn't really feel like (laughs) you can't even really sink your teeth into a situation like that. When it's happening, you you feel like you're either in a movie or in some crazy nightmare. It was quite bizarre. Um, Still to this day, I think about it and it's mind boggling, like to think that that's how we lost our dad. How did the fire department react when he passed away? Oh, I mean, they, when, when he died, it was like full honors. It felt almost like a military funeral. It really did. They had guys standing with fire lanterns in front of the casket, almost like they were protecting their brother that had fallen. When they put his, when they put his casket in the, uh, in the motorcade to bring him to the cemetery. They drove him through the middle of town. They blocked off all the streets in the middle of town. (laughs) They stopped in front of the fire department and they rang the fire whistle off, like the town fire whistle. You know, they stopped like the car in front of the firehouse and like honored, honored him by like sounding the fire alarm, like for the whole town, like everybody in the town could hear the fire alarm going off. They probably just assumed there was a fire, but that day it was they were honoring my dad uh the whole town was just over it was overwhelming he's interred at um holy rood and i didn't think we we're gonna fit all the cars in there just because it, w- it was just an amazing turnout um you know you look back a thousand times right after it happens and you try to remember like what the last real interaction you had with with the person is you know the day before he died, I got to hang out with him and have dinner. And, you know, it was, 
in some strange way it had something to do with cars like the reason we were hanging out had something to do with cars you know my father was like always you know car a car was always a great thing to talk about you know whether it was a car that you really liked or a car that you wanted or you just needed to fix your piece of shit that you were <laughs> driving around you know what i mean so and i needed new tires at the time i i was sharing a car with my ex-girlfriend it was a saturn i remember and it needed new tires so like the last full day that he was alive he said why don't you just drive on up to sam's club i know the guy in the automotive area you know he'll, he'll i'll get like the employee discount bring the car up you know we'll, we'll walk around I'll show you around the store i'll introduce you to some of my friends up here while they're fixing your car this and that and then you know and then we'll go out to dinner afterwards and so that's that was like the last the last full day my dad was alive i got to it was it was it was me and him so that night at the uh the diner the plaza diner morris plains was just uh, me and walt after we had uh changed the tires on my car the last conversation i had with him was the dinner the last interaction i had with him after dinner was uh it had had a great time at dinner thanks thanks for helping me out with my tires and uh so i had him on for me i love you guys and that was it you know i was able to recall that that much coming up after the break Kenny and Dan honor their father in two very unique ways. And though we know what happened to Walt, we find out what happened to the 55 Bel Air. Remember Kenny's tattoos? Love lost across his knuckles and a heart with dad on his hand. These were the first tattoos Kenny ever got that were not concealed by clothing. I asked Kenny what he thinks his father would think of these tributes. I guess in some weird way, I think my father, if like he could have a response to me doing that, it would probably be very similar to the his response to my tattoos while he while he was around and while he was alive, where he would give me a whole bunch of crap about it, but then tell everybody about it because of how proud he was. Like, you should see what my goofy ass, silly son is doing. He's got tattoos and shit all over himself, even on his knuckles. They're on his hands now. They've spread to his hands. What would Walt think about my tattoos that I got for him? (laughs) He would not like them. He always told, he told you, didn't he? That if he wanted you to be born with tattoos, he would have swallowed ink, India ink, <laughs> he said, before we made you. He said, he said it another way. <laughs> you remember what he used to say. I don't know. What? But he said, if I wanted to look that way, I, I would have put ink in my pecker before I made you. <laughs> well, I don't know. He didn't say swallow. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Denver, Colorado, where Dan Appel now lives. After two years of very hard work and with the emotional and financial support of his mother and his brother, Dan is opening his own business. It's a Jersey-style deli and brewery, um, the Grateful Gnome. And uh, it's certainly a... um, pays homage to the the guy that taught me everything I know about 
half that side of the business. So my brother decided, you know, a couple of years ago that he was tired of working for other people and that he wanted to uh, take a shot at his own his own version of Banjiola's Deli. So he's he's that's what he's in the middle of doing right now out in uh, Denver. Uh, the Grateful Gnome has virtually the same menu um, and setup that Banjiola's had. Um, My mom and I were were fully behind him. We're in. <laughs> we're supporting them. We're, we're, we're invested. You know, we're using my grandmother's sauce. We're using my mom's chili. Um, we're doing everything as we did back then. Um, except I won't be smoking lucky strikes over to grill. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, this is very much, uh, inspired and kind of born of something that my father created. My dad is definitely a guiding light and um, I, I talk to him all the time. <laughs> and what of the turquoise and white 55 Bel Air? It's still there at the house that Kenny and Dan grew up in, still at the house where Prudy lives. I've never, ever, ever seen my mom drive it. Not once. I used to, a- anytime I went to my mom's house, I would at least start the thing up and back it out of the garage and like take it around the block just to get like the fluid through the lines to get the, the belts moving and, you know, just kind of keep my father's spirit like alive and in the neighborhood. Like <clears throat> I, I can remember anytime I would drive that car around, you know, you come to a stop center or a red light and I would always have people smiling at me, giving me the thumbs up. I don't think my brother would, would sell it. I don't think my mom would sell it. I think, um, you know, it's kind of part of my dad's kind of legacy. I used to see that car and I would instantly think of my dad sitting in it. Having it be in the garage right now for me, um, it, it, it's, I know it's always there, which is weird because I haven't really thought about that that much because I don't need the car. And, but if it weren't there, I think I would be hurt. Like that car is my dad hanging out in the garage. You know, it, re- it really is. It really is. Kenny asked his mother what she would like to see happen to the car. Her answer is clear. She would want one of her sons to have it. If you wanted it, I would hope that you'd take it. I don't mean that you should drive it. You know, I don't know that it's roadworthy or whether it's worthy of pouring money into it to make it roadworthy. You know, to say, well, I hope one of you guys takes it and puts it away in the garage only because it's a piece of history, that's it. And there's there's no way of getting that piece of history um, without a lot of expense. It wow. had it had intrinsic value, not because it was a car, but because it was an icon of of freedom or, or mechanical aptitude or beauty or some it's an icon of something right. that you can't create. Uh, you know, yourself. And here you have, your, you're an owner of it. So the Bel Air is still there, but Walt is not. Kenny and Dan try not to dwell on the loss, but one thing Kenny still struggles with is how his father had worked so hard for his retirement for that 55 Bel Air. Walt didn't ask for much, Kenny says, and he sums up his vision for retirement like this. Thinking of my dad... You know, I think what he really just wanted to do when he retired was like, he didn't want to work. He wanted to hang out with my mom, smoke cigarettes, take some naps, 
drink some coffee and drive a car around. I think that's really what he wanted to do. I think he wanted to like drive a fancy old car around like Morris Plains and just honk the horn and wave at people. Like, hey, you know me, I'm Walt. I've lived here for 30 years. Like everybody knows me, what's up? How you doing? You know, I think that's what he wanted to do at his retirement. You know, I don't think he had any really big plans. As Danny opens the doors to the grateful gnome, Bangiolas by another name, he still talks to his father in his heart, and he lives by this simple credo. I always tell myself, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. So my dad's just one of those guys that I'm like, I'm happy that he was in my life. Like, he's, I don't know, he's my dad. That does it for season one of Tempest. If you haven't listened to the other episodes yet, go check them out. And if you like them, please rate, review, and tell all your friends about this series. Tempest is produced and written by me, David Obachowski, with editorial oversight by Kristen Lee and Patrick George. Mondan Amafidi is the executive director of audio. Music by me, David Obachowski, and my projects, Distant Correspondent and Memory Bias, which features none other than Kenny Appel on drums. Oh, and by the way, The Grateful Gnome in Denver, it's now open. The episode was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. Again, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. I want to hear from you. Email us with comments and story ideas, tempest at jalopnik.com. Drive safe and love your car, especially if it's a 1955 Chevy Bel Air. And if it is, well, you probably earned it. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.